Hello, this is Tim Conboy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. By the way, if you're a guest with us today, would you take a moment and fill out the visitor card on the pew in front of you or chair in front of you? Just take it out a moment in the box on the way out, if you could just Drop it in there. We would love to have a record of your visit. I'll tell you, I'm, by the way, I'm in Acts chapter 9, in case you didn't figure that out. It's exciting to see how the Lord has been working in the lives of our community, our friends, our family. And it's always an amazing thing to me when I see, what do you say, our Seniors, our more mature friends, come to Christ their Savior. Isn't that awesome to see? I mean, we think of, you know, John, who is early 80s, who got saved a couple months ago, and, and Don retired as well and just uh, saved today. I mean, that, that to me, it shows that God is working in the hearts of folks and drawing them in and saving them and changing their lives. And uh, I tell you, that's exciting. It's one thing after 20 years living in Florida when we have a lot of seniors there, to see them come to Christ. But it's also exciting to be up here, and I know that you haven't gone to Florida yet. So God works in Indiana too. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Acts chapter 9. Hey, by the way, we need to give it up for Cindy Dodge putting together Live Nativity and everybody, everybody that helped in it. Thank you, Cindy. Amen. Amen. I think what I enjoyed last night talking to Cindy, and I said, well, were you stressed out? She goes, no, I've reached a point in life. I'm like, whatever. It'll happen. We'll pull together. It'll, you know. And I said, boy, that's a good place to be in, isn't it? Just say, Lord will put it together. And we had uh, 215 come through. So that's a lot of people we were able to impact. So praise the Lord for that. And and they weren't all church folks. We said, hey, we don't want to put this together just for the church folks. They were non-church folks as well that come through. And so uh, it was really good to see God working and moving and touching and changing lives. I feel like I can't go over this way because I'm like... I couldn't convince Reed that I wanted to put a little leaner ladder stand on this one, but she's like... Okay. All right. Are you there in Acts 9? Ooh, we're going to have to giddy up as we think of the message today. Oh, by the way, before I jump in, I did want to say thank you to those that are watching at a distance online and many that have given to this ministry here and helping, whether it's a carpet campaign. It's just amazing how God speaks and touches hearts at a great distance that are helping this ministry, helping the grace of God get spread abroad here in this community. So I just want to say thank you to all out there that have been helping. We appreciate it, don't we? Amen. We do. Amen. It's been amazing to see how the online giving is. uh, God's just used it in a special way, and we, we are grateful for all those that help. From loud and proud to lowly and humble. Follow with me, starting verse 8. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. 
That must have been quite a shock, wasn't it? It would be for you. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. I like the word Ananias. It's actually, in the Hebrew, it's also spelled with an H, like Hannah. Hananias or Ananias. It means to whom God graciously gives. To whom God graciously gives. And so Ananias was a disciple in Damascus. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Interesting, he had to get Saul's name twice to get his attention. But Ananias, he spoke once and he was already ready to listen. And he's ready for action. Here I am, Lord, just like Samuel. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight. Get up, go to Straight Street. That's not easy to say, by the way. And inquire at the house of Judas. Well, that's, that's not a top of our name list, is it? You know, a Judas? For one called Saul, the great one, it means. Of Tarsus, just so you know which Saul I'm talking about. For behold, look, he's praying. And in a vision... He has seen a man named Ananias. In other words, Saul, in a vision as Saul had, he saw a man named Ananias, to whom God graciously gives, coming coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias, in an attempt to inform the Lord, said, Lord, I have heard many things about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. We we hear that often, right? No further explanation, just go. (laughs) For he is a chosen vessel of mine. To bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, by the way, pause there for a moment. I've had people think that somehow this is God is going to get even with Saul. So I'm going to show him all the things he's got to suffer for me now. Because he was so bad before he got saved. And now, boy, he's going to have to pay for it now that he is saved. That is not the intent of that verse right there. The intention of that verse is not punishment, it's preparedness. In other words, he's already been speaking to Saul, and he said, listen, here's what the road ahead is going to look like. There's going to be a lot of suffering. If you're going to go before kings and Gentiles and Jews, you're going to need me to deliver you from them. You're going to need me to deliver you from people like you. And essentially, he laid it out to Saul to ask him, if you will, are you still in? Are you still willing? Are you going to follow me? It's going to be a rough road ahead. Are, are, you, are you good with that? It's the idea. He goes, I've already shown him this. And yet instead of causing Saul to flee, Saul stays the course. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and laying hands on him said, what? 
brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, notice, who appeared to you on the road as you came. So in other words, I know that Jesus appeared to you on the road because he told me. Has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember the glove, the hand in the glove, filling? Saul has the Holy Spirit, but he's just going to be totally empowered and overwhelmed and baptized by the Holy Spirit. Immediately, there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. So when he was, had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Father, add your blessing and your anointing on this, your word, as we listen to what the Spirit of God has to say. Speak to each of us. I know this speaks to my heart. Speak to each of us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Whenever we read Scripture, especially when we're reading an action section, I mean, Saul's conversion, it ranks right up there with the the good action that's happening. I mean, he's on his way to Damascus, he's got arrest warrants, he's going to go, he's going to get the Christians, he's going to drag them back to prison, and he's going to put them to death like he did the others. I mean, it's like, this is intense, things are happening here. And, and so here's his action, and he goes, and he meets the Lord on the road, and his bright light knocks him to the ground. And, and then he goes in to this Judas house, and he stays there, and then Ananias is sent. When we read all this action, sometimes we get caught up in the action, and you know what we forget? That these guys, these people, Saul, Ananias, the other soldiers with Saul, the d- disciples, the people... You know what we forget about them? That they are people just like you and I are. People with their same strengths and their same weaknesses. People with the same challenges and people with the same hang-ups and obstacles. People that face things just like we do. You know, it's one of the things, I've been in 34 countries by the grace of God. That still amazes me. I mean, he found me living in a tent in the woods when he saved me. I was like, Wow cleans me up, uses me, saves me, and then I just can't believe it. But every country I've been in, I found one thing in common. In every one of these countries, that all the people are just like every other people. Or his person. Correct my English. However it is. They're just like everyone else. A little different culturally, a little different language-wise, but I was witnessing a guy and is actually... An Italian I was witnessing to in the, in the French Alps one time. I'm going over the gospel with him, and, and he had the same arguments. I'm going through a translator, and he had the same arguments that we have here. And I was amazed. I'm like, wow, people are no different. These people are no different. And as I look at these people, and I think of the difficulties that they face, I realize that their difficulties that they have are the same difficulties we have, and there's one primary area that is most difficult when it comes to this area of transformation. Remember we saw that metamorphosis, the transformational grace of God. The area that is most difficult to God's transformational grace is also the most critical area. The area in their life and our life that if it does not change, nothing else will change. 
If this area doesn't change, nothing changes. And you say, well, what is this obstacle? What is this barricade to God's transforming grace? And the answer is one word. Pride. Pride. Now, praise the Lord that we don't suffer from that. But there's other people in other churches. (laughs) And we know who you are. (laughs) Just kidding. Our pride. James chapter 4, verse 6. Familiar text. But God gives what? Grace. Therefore, he says, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, what's interesting about that last portion, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, is that there are... There's an action taking place in here, and it actually has to do with the hands. To resist means to stiff arm. To give grace means to have open arms. So it's interesting that in a metaphorical sense, it speaks of God's arms resisting and in God's arms opening. What, what is his position when it comes to his arms? It's an interesting mental picture here. The idea is to stiff arm a person's advance, which means the person has a desire to get to you for good or bad. As a matter of fact, I, I can illustrate it with this. Fend from Mullen Cox here, right in front of you. Did you feel it? Bang! Oh, that was beautiful. Yeah, great job from Dean Mullen. Oh. Great strength. Getting some treatment as a Bismarck Jew. Rugby. What kind of game is that? No pads? Come on. It's hard to see with these lights here, but this guy's advancing towards him. And the guy with the rugby ball goes, and the guy flips. And his face, face plants in the ground, his feet goes up here. But did you hear the announcers? How beautiful is that? (laughs) You can tell when the guys are announcing. That's awesome, man. Creamed them. Now, this is the idea behind that word to resist. It's the idea to stiff arm someone's advancement. Now, here it's in a game setting. And certainly, God's not advancing the ball, He's advancing humanity. But the idea is someone is advancing towards this player, and whether it's rugby or football, whatever it might be, they're advancing towards it, and the one to whom they're advancing towards stops them in their tracks, stiff arms them. But what I find amazing in James 4, 6 is that this is not some heathen. This is not some pagan or some atheist. Uh, this is not someone that doesn't believe in God. No, this is a person that totally believes in God. And they're trying to get to God. And as they advance towards God, God goes, wait a minute. <laughs> Stop right there. And he stiff arms them. Have you ever felt stiff armed by God? I have. <laughs> I felt like I'm trying to get to God, and I I describe it like there's like this wall I hit all of a sudden. And God stops them in their tracks. Why does God stiff arm this person that's advancing to him? 
Not advancing for bad, but trying to advance for good. The answer is because of pride in their heart. Because of pride that says, God says, no. You cannot come closer with that pride. You see, friends, we've been considering God's grace. And we consider the fact that God pursues us by His grace. God saves us by His grace. God empowers us by His grace. God transforms and metamorphoses us by His grace. God uses us as His chosen vessels. By the way, uh, Saul was not special because God said he's a chosen vessel and maybe you're feeling you're not. Because uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says to all of us who are saved, do you see God's choosing in your life? How He chooses the, the things that are not wise, the things that are not beautiful, the things that are not noble. So it's all of us are chosen vessels of God that bear the name of Jesus Christ. God does this work in our life, but the problem is this. To access God's transforming grace, you must come humble. We cannot come with pride. Pride is a barricade which prevents God from using that grace in our life. Why? Because if God uses grace in my life when pride is all over me, then guess who's going to take the glory? Guess who's going to think that he got himself through that? Guess who else is going to think that? Can't all point at me all the time, right? Pride blocks God's grace, but humility opens the door to God's grace. Now, some of us are very unfamiliar with this word, so I'd like to define it. Pride. A high or inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority. Whether as, I love this part, cherished in the mind... In other words, you're a legend in your own mind. Or as displayed in one's bearing, or in one's conduct, what they do. It's in the mind, in their bearing, or in their conduct. To possess an unduly favorable idea of one's own appearance. Advantages and achievements. Et cetera. And often applies to offensive characteristics. Aren't you glad it doesn't apply to us? We're humble and proud of it. Don't forget that. Some synonyms. We may use the word pride, conceit, self-esteem, egotism, vanity. What do those words mean? In case you're wondering. Pride. A lofty and often arrogant assumption of superiority in some respect. You're better than someone else. Conceit. An exaggerated estimate of one's own abilities or attainments. I love that. It's not an estimate of your abilities or attainments, you know, what you can do or what you can't do. It's an exaggerated estimate, evangelistically speaking. That that terminology came from three people went forward, one person gets saved, and they asked the evangelist, 
How did the service go? Dozens were given to the Lord. Dozens surrendered to the Lord, evangelistically speaking. In other words, they stretched the fact a little bit. A little exaggerated estimate. Next slide. Self-esteem. An estimate of oneself that may be higher than that held by others. <laughs> hmm. Egotism. An excessive preoccupation with oneself or with one's own concerns. Lastly, vanity. Self-admiration and an excessive desire to be admired by others. Self-admiration. You know, I love that slide. Hold on, let me get a selfie of myself here. <laughs> oh, oh, I know. I bet you think this sermon's about you, don't you? <laughs> don't you? Don't you? Vanity. Wow. I don't know about you, but I looked and I said, well, hopefully all these definitions and, you know, none of them apply to me. <laughs> Fact of the matter is, at one point or another in any given day, week, month, year, whatever, probably every one of them apply to every one of us at some time, right? What I also find interesting is the ones that are, so, that are most worried about being prideful are some of the most humble people I ever met. It seems like it's the humble ones that, are, that carry themselves humble and act humble are worried that they're being prideful about something. And I'm like, I don't see that. You see, Saul and Ananias, as I look at them, are really personifications of humility. And as we just, we need to roll through this. A humble person, first of all, we learns to receive help from others. Saul was the leader of the pack. Saul was in charge of this detachment. Saul was in full control and he had full authority and it was given to him, not by any old priest, but the chief priest. But once God's saving grace entered into his life and intersected him on that road to Damascus, and immediately Paul hit the ground. He was humbled. Remember the word humbled comes from the word Hummus. Hummus means the ground. Like terra means the earth. The ground. Hummus. We are hummus beings, are we not? It's funny how we can be humble beings that are so proud of us being such humble beings. He humbles. He means close to the ground. And immediately, instead of snuffing him out for killing Christians, he experiences God's grace and His mercy to hold back the judgment He deserves, grace to allow Him to continue living. But the first thing that we see is that Paul could not see. Paul loses his sight immediately. It's one thing to lose your hearing. That's bad enough. But to lose one's sight is twice as debilitating and humiliating than it is to lose one's hearing. Now, not humili humiliating in a mocking sense but humiliating in a humbling sense. You see, when we look at Saul, who was the leader of the pack, now he needs to get escorted into Damascus like a little child. Saul, who was the, the rough, tough, fearsome man who is going to make this grand entrance, he's got his entourage, he's going to go into this city, and he's going to take names. 
He's going to go see the priest or the, 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 the rabbi of the synagogues. He's going to go in there and he's going to start rounding up these Christians. He's going in loud and in charge. But yet all of a sudden, he's got to get led into Damascus. This rough, tough, fearsome man has his hand in the hand of another soldier who led him. Ladies, I need to clue you in something about guys. Guys have adjusted to the point where we learn to give the bro hug. Two taps, no rubbing, no whispering. Right? We've learned to do that. We've advanced in some areas of contact. But to have somebody else take us by the hand, to take our hand and put it in someone else's hand, that just ain't us. Amen. And a woman. I don't know about you. I don't see that like Saul. I don't see Saul as, oh, would you just take my hand? Saul was like, man, I can't see a thing. Uh, Sir, uh, um, would you like us to help you? Yeah, you better. All right, we're going to take your hand now. Don't hit us. Okay, this is this is me, Bill, holding your hand. It's okay. Yeah, let me tell you something. The guy that went to hold his hand did it very carefully. Very gingerly. Got permission first, probably. And then he had to escort him to the city. And, you know, it's not about like walking down uneven sidewalks. We're talking... Thousands of years ago, transportation. Very rough, very rugged. Watch out for that rock. Oh, lift your left foot. Step now. Move. Oh, oh, don't hit the, oh you hit the tree. I wonder how many of them wanted to just ask her. Oops, sorry. You know? And here Saul thought he was going to have this grand entrance into Damascus. Coming in loud and proud, in charge here. And he's going to enter in and strike fear in the hearts of all these Christians. And man, when everyone saw Saul walk in, and you can bet scouts were already ahead telling everybody he's coming. Ananias already knew he was coming, didn't he? They already knew he was coming. You bet he was going to go in, shoulders back and head high, and he was going to take names. But yet, when they looked and they see Saul coming in like this, and every step, ginger. And they're gawking it like, what's this? That is a humble position to be in. A great challenge that we have, especially if we, I mean, if someone else likes to be in control. A great challenge we have if you are one that likes to be in control or if you're one that is an independent person. You can take care of this. Sometimes us guys, occasionally we can fall into this trap. Or self-reliant. I got it. I got it. You know why guys don't go to the doctors? It's not because they're afraid of the doctors. They're too tough for that. Because they don't want to look like they need help. And when a guy says he needs to go to the doctor, you know he needs help, right? I remember when my wife asked me back in September when I fell, you think you should go to emergency? Yes. No, she goes, 
I knew you were bad then. (laughs) Yeah. One of the difficulties that we have if we are a controlling person or independent person or don't, no, I got this. I could take care of it. Or we even sometimes use the excuse, well, I don't want to impose on them. One of the most difficult areas is to receive help from others. All right, guys? You know somebody, don't you? (laughs) Might be the man in the mirror. (laughs) Often we are proud to admit that we can't do something. Often we're proud to admit we don't know something. Often we're too proud to admit we can't figure something out. Often we're too proud to admit that, you know what, maybe I just need help. Sometimes in our lives, we all have pain and we all have sorrows. But if we are wise, we know that there's always tomorrow. Please, swallow your pride. If I have things that you need to borrow, for no one can feel, fill those of your needs that you won't let show. If there is a load you have to bear that you cannot carry, I'm right up the road. I'll share that load if you just call on me. Anyone ever heard of that? I'm not going to sing it. Man, I gave the first line and Bonnie goes, Lean on me when you're not strong. Interesting. Interesting lyrics. He's, he is singing and it's a, very, it's a good song. That's a secular song. It's always jingle bells. But the point of the matter is sometimes they strike truth, don't they? You need help. And he says, swallow your pride. Because it's your pride that keeps you from receiving the help. Man, I'll tell you, no truer lyrics sometimes could be there. Because he says, because someday I'm going to need help. And I'm going to have to take my own medicine. That's hard to do, isn't it? We can always tell someone else what they need to do. But when it comes our turn to receive the help, it's hard for us to swallow our pride. It's hard for us to say, yeah, I... Can't do it. But the humble person realizes that they need help. And they put it out there. I need help. But it's not just offering, letting someone else know that another person. But the idea is to bring that need to the one who can help you the most. And here's the amazing thing about pride. Not only does it block us, it blocks access to God's grace that will help us. The amazing thing is this. Pride is not prayerless. Pride prays. You think, well, he's too proud. You know, he, he wouldn't pray to God. No, pride is not prayerless. Pride still goes to God for help. But somehow, when pride goes to God for help, somehow it thinks that it deserves that help. That somehow uh, we've performed well enough. I mean, after all, God, I didn't used to go to the church, and now I'm going to church. I mean, I'm going regular. I read my Bible twice this week. And I've been staying at it. I upped my giving from a dollar to two bucks, Lord. That's that's 100% giving more. Somehow we think, Lord, I'm doing all these things and, and, and I need this 
And you're not pulling through. And you're not helping me. And, you're, and, and where are you? And God's like, whoa, brother. Or son. Or daughter. Whoa. Stop right there. I don't bless you because you're good. You've heard me say before, I bless you because I'm good. Right? And when I think that I should get God's moving and blessing and filling and anointing because I have been such a good Christian because I've been so much better than I used to be, then listen, I am coming to God with a sense of pride and entitlement. And God says, I can't do it based on that. Because if I do it based on what you've done in your performance, if I do it, then you're going to think that your approach to me is always going to be based on you and your goodness and your accomplishments. And you're always going to keep doing more and more and more and more to earn my love, which is freely given. And somehow you're going to think that you're blessed because you're so much better of a Christian than that other rascal over there who's doing anything but all the things that you are doing. We all do it, don't we? We all do it. We do it in reverse. Well, this went wrong because I wasn't doing this, that, or the other thing. It's not. Humble person realizes they need to receive help. And that help's got to come from the most important who can give that help. But pride will get stiff-armed. It's amazing to me that pride still advances to God. But God stops it. He said, no, no, no. Come low. Come lowly. Let me ask you, how are you at receiving help? How would you feel if you were the one being escorted in by the hand? How would you feel? Is it okay with you? If God puts you in a position of humility. Sometimes it's not easy to get knocked off our high horse, is it? Ask Saul. He hit the the dirt, man. He's like, whoa, man, that hurt. It's not easy. But is it okay? Like I said Wednesday, I was thinking, I said, you know, we all want to see the miracles of God. We all want a miracle in our life. But we don't want to be in a place of desperation that needs the miracle. Are you with me on that? Yeah, Lord, bring the miracles. Okay, I'm going to put you in a place of desperation where you can't do anything and I can do everything. And, and, and when you're in that place where there's no one else, your strength has failed, your, your knowledge has failed, your wits have failed, when you are at the end of your rope, when you have reached your wits end, is Psalm 107, that's when I will show up. Because that's when I get the glory. It's tough to get to that place when pride is so often say, no, 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 you don't want that. Humble person receives help. A humble person learns to wait and listen. And listen very quickly because we have to giddy up. Last week, Pastor Corey showed a train video of waiting. That train just going by. You know what bothered me most about that? He said, when I am at that train, I'm wondering, who's on that train that's not saved? You know, where are they going? And he's, he's thinking spiritual things. I'm, think, I'm like, wow, that's not me. I'm thinking, really? 
Come on, man. Where is the end of this thing? Hit the gas. That's what I'm waiting. Give me the lights. Ding, 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 ding. You know, that's, all, that's all I'm waiting for. I, I've got to improve in that area. Sometimes impatient can, impatience can be brought on by various things. Obstacles in your way. Sometimes we're impatient because of fear or worry. We're fearful something's going to happen, so we're a little anxious about it. Sometimes we're impatient because of deadlines, that dreaded clock. Other times we're, our impatience is sparked by pride. It's very hard for a person who expects what they want, when they want, to wait for whatever it is they want. Saul was not accustomed to idleness. He was not accustomed to waiting for further instructions. He was the one that was on the move, giving instructions, large and at charge. Now, it doesn't say that God said don't eat or drink during that three days, but He said, go to this place. And He did not tell him how long he was to be there. He did not tell him what he was to do when he got there. He did not tell him how long it was. But it's interesting that during this waiting period, God is not idle. You feel idle, I feel idle, but God's not idle. He is working on both sides of the equation. He is working on Saul's side. Saul didn't know how long he was going to be there, but he knew what was going to happen. Saul knew there was a guy named Ananias coming. God showed him a vision and said, there's a guy named Ananias, he even told him his name, is coming. And he also told him what he's going to do when he gets there. He's going to come and he's going to lay his hands on you. When he lays his hands on you, you will then receive your sight. Saul knew all that. Then on the other side of the equation with Ananias, the Lord appears to him in a vision, and he says, Ananias, there's a guy I want you to go see. He's down on straight, straight street, right around the corner. He's at Judas's house. His name's Saul, and he's from Tarsus. Isn't it amazing how much God knows about you? He knows your address. He knows when you're visiting another town. He knows where you're staying when you're visiting somebody else. He knows their name. He knows where you were born. He knows where you're from. It's amazing that God knows everything about us, isn't it? And it's a little scary. You're like, wow. That's why I always, I'm always amazed when, when people say, God knew you before he made you. And I said, and he made me anyways. Like, That's amazing. I don't know if I would have done that. But he does. God works on both sides of the equation. But God says to us, sometimes we're so busy because we know what to do and we're going through life and we got all these things to do and we got this, Lord. If we need you, we'll call you. We're all set. And we're so busy that we can't hear God. And sometimes God says, be what? Still. And while you're being still, what do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do? Just know that I'm God. What else, Lord? What else? Okay, I can do that. Just know. Let me tell you something about God. God never yells. God always speaks. Sometimes God whispers. Watch the gym full of children. Gymnasium full of kids. And one of the leaders got up there and said, Settle down! Settle down! I mean, it was loud in there. They're like, Quiet, quiet. And the kids got louder and louder as the leader got louder. Then the other leader said, I'll take care of this. Okay, kids, I want to tell you a story. This is how the story went. 
And all of a sudden, the kids are listening. Instead of raising the voice, they got quieter. And the kids got quieter. And they started leaning in. What is it? What is it? Sometimes God speaks in a still, small voice, not because he's hoarse, but because he wants you to lean in and listen. He doesn't want us to lean and say, I got this, Lord. He wants us to lean in and say, I can't do this. I need your help. And he says, here's what I want you to do. And by the way, God still speaks to us today. Still speaks to us. Don't narrow it down just to the scripture. He walks with me and he talks with me. And if you, how many believe we're in the last days? We were all because of it. The last days, young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams, right? That's what he said. Remember I said it's the young men see the visions because the old men fell asleep. And it's got to be a dream. All right, well, I've got to tell you in a dream. But he says, I'm going to communicate. I'm going to tell you things. And sometimes I'll tell you something very specific. Specific. Specific on State Street. And I'll tell you their name. And I'll tell you what to do. And I'll tell you where to go. And I'll tell you who to meet. He does that. Remember the other day, he was, told me something. I knew right then. He told me to stop this and go here and do this. Okay. And I went and did it. Don't always, but that time I did. Oh, sorry. <laughs> All right, let me wrap it up. Humble people learn to wait and listen. And humble people learn to act or accept and act. Saul didn't know what to do, but he had to accept it. Saul had to put his own agenda aside. He was supposed to meet the priest there. He was supposed to meet the rabbi of the synagogue. He was supposed to round up these guys. He was supposed to execute the warrants that he had. He had all these things on his agenda he had to do. And yet he said, you know what? My agenda can go aside. By the way, if you have trouble putting your agenda aside, God will help you. Lord, I have trouble. I just have trouble stopping it. Oh, okay, I can help you with that. And it's amazing how all of a sudden, boom, our agenda could change just like that, can't it? But do you accept that change? A humble person will accept the change and act. Ananias, go talk to this guy, Saul. Saul? I've heard about this guy, Saul, as if the Lord didn't hear about him, you know? Let me fill you in on him. And you want me to go to him? And guess what? He accepted it and he acted on it very humbly. A nervous assignment and yet he did it. You see, he trusted the Lord even when it didn't make sense and he changed his attitude because when he got there he called Saul his brother. When hours before he would have called him his enemy. He would have said, I don't like this guy. And now he goes, Brother Saul, the Lord spoke to me about you. Receive your sight. And God worked a miracle here. To act and go as far as God tells us to go, even if it means an agenda change. And by the way, here's something I've learned about God. God will ask us to do something, and it's usually at the most inconvenient time. It's true. When you are so busy and there's no time for that 
And it's like, you've got to get this done. God will ask you, will you do this? And to me, it's almost like a test to say, what's more important, Tim, your agenda or my agenda? And he has to constantly keep me in balance and say, no, my agenda is more important. And so sometimes at the most inconvenient times, God will put someone in our path, lay someone on our heart, tell us to do something that we might say, well, Lord, not today. I don't have time today. Can I do it tomorrow? But we have to listen and act and sometimes change even attitudes. And go as far as the Lord tells you to go and don't go further. Leave it at that and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? And that's what I'll do. Do you remember that assignment you got in high school as we close? I don't know if it was high school. It's probably probably one of those cruel tricks I played in junior high. The teachers played. I got this assignment and had all these things. Like, oh man! And it was a timed assignment. We had like ten minutes to do it. And and I'm a slow reader. So I'm like, oh, the teacher says, okay, here's your assignment. Got ten minutes. Remember what the first assignment was in verse in number one? Read all the instructions before answering any of them. And I said, I don't have time for that. Man, I'm, I'm putting four up in the corner and circling. I'm writing, spelling Mississippi. I'm circling the, you know, I'm going. And by the time I got down to number four, the girl's already handing hers in. Man, she's a fast reader. The difference was that she read always at the bottom, and the bottom line says, disregard all prior assignments or let them know I'll be done in a minute. Disregard all prior questions. Write your name at the top and turn it in. And Miss Smarty Pants, I mean, and this girl <laughs> read it, signed it, turned it in, and man, I'm, I'm ripping through. Come on, I got a second, a few minutes. And then when I got to that last question, it's when you hit the dirt. And I'm like, here's my paper. Put all the stuff all over it. Anyone ever taken that test? How many failed it? Okay, good. I was afraid I was going to be the only one. The reason is because we think we know what to do. So we plow ahead and do it. And God says, no. Wait on me. I'll show you. Don't go further than I show you. And don't go short of what I showed you. Just follow me. From loud and proud to lowly and humble. Father, bless our invitation time. Speak to us, we ask. Move amongst us. And whatever the needs you've already been working and saving souls and touching lives, Lord, do so even now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You come as Pastor Travis comes. God's speaking to you today. Whatever need is, we close our service. If you didn't have an opportunity earlier, you'd come right now. You come. Boy, they're persistent. Hand me the phone. I'll answer it. Hello, this is Pastor Tim. Can I help you? You come. We're only going to take a few minutes, so if God's calling you, you come.